move begins with a giant leap of faith i don't know if you've ever felt like you know that desk job that's safe and secure and certain is in some ways holding you back from doing what you really want to do and it might be a great job with nice people but yet something's missing today i'm going to introduce you to michelle terry a woman who took that leap of faith from a graphic design job and transitioned to becoming a full-time letterpress artist and running her own business. Uh, this was a transition that she made late in the year last year and then fully launched Runaway Press in January of this year. So she's still new to this whole you know, full-time artist gig that she has going, but she's learned a whole lot. And her presentation is, it's very slick. She's got a good thing going. I met her at the local Fulton Street Artisans Market that runs every Sunday from 11 to 3 here in Grand Rapids at the corner of um, Fuller and Fulton Street. And, you know, when you walk past her booth, you can't tell that she just got started, you know, within the last year. So it's it's pretty cool what she's got going. Her story is going to be, I think, relatable for a lot of you. Because um, I know I was there. I was working the the full-time desk job and really felt like something was missing. And I needed needed to be more independent. And it's kind of a scary thing to walk away from gainful employment, a job where you know a check is coming every week or every two weeks. And so it's a a nerve-wracking thing to do. And it's certainly not something that everyone should do, but it's definitely one of those things that if you're feeling like you have that itch to go and be independent and do your own thing, you know, you might want to listen to this episode twice because Michelle uh, has a, a good story to tell and I think you'll be very inspired. So if you want to settle in, grab a project, cup of tea, and we'll get to, uh, we'll get to that story. I am at Runaway Press here in Grand Rapids with Michelle Terry. Thank you for welcoming me into this awesome and inspiring place. This is really thank you for coming. Cool, yeah. So we're surrounded by a lot of type. Any estimate of how many fonts we're surrounded by here, or how much? I don't know how how you print makers when you compare notes. How much? What do you What do you say? I have. I have 50 fonts. <laughs> what do you say when you guys get together? I don't, I don't think we get that specific. Yeah. I usually say we get a little bit. Yeah, a but, little bit. Um, we have a, I don't know how many, but a good selection, big, small, wood, lead, serif. Yeah, and it's it's really pretty to look at. I know that it's, uh, I, I don't think I'll ever get bored looking at type. I won't either. Yeah. Where are you from originally? Belding. Did you have artist tendencies <laughs> as a young girl? Yes. My grandmother on my mother's side and my grandmother on my father's side are both amazing artists different respects but um like one of my earliest memories as a child is walking into my grandma's house and she didn't even really say anything or I didn't say anything she just picked me up and put set me at the kitchen table and put a piece of watercolor paper in front of me and some paints oh cool and that's what I did when I went over to her house is just, I just sat and painted. No questions asked. That's, she just wanted me to, and that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. How old did you think you were at the time? Um, 
this is just a guesstimate on my age, but I can remember being pretty small, so maybe like four. Oh, wow. That's nice. And so you just took to it and just really liked yeah. creating? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, from there, what did you do next? What other art forms did you experiment with? I did a lot of just, you know, drawing, painting. All kids like to make stuff out of clay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I did fun. I did a lot of that. I used to, um, she had this little container of square post-it notes that weren't sticky, but they were just like in a, in a pile yeah. by the phone. And I used to fold those up and make snowflakes, like, by the hundreds. Oh, and wow. she had this Rubbermaid bin of, like, all of my snowflakes and all of these, you know, pastel shades of Post-it notes. Oh, that's great. For the longest time. But when I got into high school, I there was art classes, and I did a lot of pottery and ceramics. And then I think I took all the art classes I was allowed to take in high Next school. Allowed. Yep. Yeah. My parents are both artistic in different respects as well. My mom painted a lot when I was a kid. She sewed, you know, all of my Halloween costumes, Mm -hmm. my dresses when I was a little girl. And then my dad, he's, you know, your typical outdoorsy guy. Right. But he's... He has, like, the mind of of an engineer. So if I needed to make, like, a science project... He would be like, I got it. We're, we're going to make this. It's going to be made out of concrete. Then the string is going to be a pulley or, you know, whatever oh, wow. it was. And he he's a pharmacist. He went to college to be a pharmacist. But he never wanted to be, you know, he's not that indoorsy type person that's going to, you know, write prescriptions or count right. pills all day. He always had side work doing, like, pouring concrete driveways. So I learned to, like, pour concrete when I was 14. Wow. So and did I, he work as a pharmacist then? <clears throat> he did. But yep, then he had full all these, time. all these projects. And then he always wanted to do okay. side jobs, like pulling out stumps or, <laughs> you know, tearing down a house because he has, like, a, a backhoe and that kind of, like, oh, equipment wow. to do stuff. So his weekend work was really intense. Yeah. <laughs> for the faint of heart. And I was, I always went along. I, I was, like, you know, me and my brother were his... His uh, crew. His crew? Yeah. yeah. So you were pouring concrete at 14. It, Yeah. And you wouldn't think that there's an art to that, but there totally is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I was, my dad really liked how I did the edging. You know, there's like a specific right. tool that goes around and, and kind of um, curves the edges of the sidewalk where it's, you know, sectioned off. And, and he always gave me that job because he thought I did a really good job. I oh, was very nice. specific about my edging. It sounds like in high school you maxed out those art classes. When you went to college, wh- where did you go to college? I went to Grand Valley. My first year in college, I decided that I wanted to go for advertising because I didn't, you know, this was back in 2002 when I graduated high school. And graphic design wasn't I don't feel like it was what it is today. It was like a little more obscure. So I feel like graphic design and like an advertising degree kind of got mixed into each other because you need the design part when you're when you're doing like marketing and advertising. Mm-hmm. And when I got to college, it wasn't that at all. Mm-hmm. I was just, you know, kind of confused about that as a person coming out of high school. Um, you're probably kind of startled by the lack of uh, design elements that right. taught in the advertising right. department. Yeah. So um, I went, so I, I did that for a year and I, you know, when you're a freshman in college, you're just taking prereqs anyway. Right. And then, you know, after a while I, I thought, I think I want to go to Kendall. I think I do want to get an art degree. So I went to Kendall for my second year of college 
I just didn't feel like it was the right place for me. So I decided to co- to go back to Grand Valley and try to get into the art program. And it's pretty rigorous process at right. Grand Valley. You have to first apply and then be interviewed and bring some of your stuff that you've done, you know, prior, you know, in high school. And at that point, I don't know if you're really proud of the stuff you do, like, in a high school well, pottery you're class. still learning so much. I made it through that. I was approved to take the foundations classes. So before you even go on to graphic design at Grand Valley, you have to take six foundation art classes. And then do you have to do anything else after the foundations classes? So Is it automatic you get in or no, no you have to apply again to get? You have to get a certain grade point average in each of those classes to be eligible to get into the graphic design program. Okay. So it's it's work. It's, it's not just an auto It's hard, yeah. but I like that. I right. like being challenged so that was the right place for me. And I don't want to say that I wasn't, you know, that Kendall was a bad school or anything. It's great. And a lot of people do well there. Right. You just but for me, right for you. I, yeah, yeah I, I felt like I was, I was getting somewhere when I was at, in the art program at Grand Valley. So I got a BFA in graphic design. And then I got my minor in advertising and PR. But I was always the type of student to make something 3D (laughs) when the project was like design a logo and then you know put it into some real world place like on a business card or whatever I decided I wanted to make my logo out of clay Uh. (laughs) so I actually made the letters of my name out of clay I kind of like wrote my name and then I modeled the clay after what my handwriting looked like each letter individually And then I put it on this magnetic, um, kind of like in the magnetic frame that was like kind of set on the table and you could, so I had my name, but then I had all of these extra letters and you could, it was, it was someplace to like play. It was like these, this little magnet board, but that's, that's how I wanted to make my logo out of clay. So I've always been inclined to be sculptural about design, about graphic design. You want to physically move things around. I, yeah. I used my other art classes. I had ceramics and I had, you know, sculpture and stuff like that. I liked to use those techniques in my graphic design classes because for the most part, the projects were two-dimensional, you know, on paper. And I wanted to see what other things I could put letters on. How could I design something like on something 30 feet tall or so... If I would have known about letterpress then, I think I would have gravitated towards it right then. Mm -hmm. And I did do one letterpress project in college, probably towards the end, maybe my last year of college. We had a small press and just a little bit of type, um, but the project was to carve our own piece of type, whatever that was. It could be one letter, could be a whole word. And print it along with some of the letterpress type. Okay. It was really open and, and you could do whatever you wanted. It didn't have to be, you know, super elaborate. But I really enjoyed that project. And once I started carving one piece, I didn't just stop at, like, the letter I needed to use. Like, I had a 8 by 10 piece of um, linoleum block and I had had my dad cut it up and then so I carved my one block and then I carved like 15 other blocks like that week because I was really into it 
I didn't necessarily print them all for that project, but I knew I, I liked that. I also took all the printmaking that they would allow a graphic designer to take. <laughs> the two worlds were coming together back right. then, but it just didn't happen until several years later. And then got out of college. I did freelance for some companies, and then I was offered a job, a full-time graphic design job, and I worked there for three and a half years, four years. Where did you work? I worked for Bodville, okay. which is out by the airport, and they specialize in employee recognition products. Oh, okay. You were telling me about that, mm-hmm. the market. And um, it's a great company to work for, and, you know, I had a great new product team, and and I loved a lot of aspects about the job, but sitting at a computer for 10 hours a day, it, it just, like, it started, like, weighing on me, like, am I going to do this for the next 25, 30, 40 <laughs> years? <laughs> In the meantime, I got that job, and a professor of mine named Chris Fox, he acquired a press and some type, and he got a studio space here in Grand Rapids, and he invited some of his students to come print, and I was one of those people. He said, hey, do you want to come? I got a letterpress. Do you want to come use it? Remember, we did that in, in class, mm-hmm. you know, in Grand Valley, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. I do want to come do that, so I'll, I'll, I'll be there. So I came that first night, and I basically never left. I came that first night, and he was looking for some uh, studio mates, somebody to help him pay the rent and be part of this group that is now called Not Design. I was on board pretty much from the beginning, and I was in love with Letterpress. And what I, year was that? I know the first actual project I worked on with the Not Design group was the Michigan Land of Riches project, which I believe was like April of 2010. So before that, I had been coming to the studio and printing. That was headed up by Paula Menta, who does Sight Lab now. But that was um, the first kind of show in the old public museum before Sight Lab really got started. Yeah, I just, I've been part of this studio since then, and this has always been something I did like on the weekends or one day a week after I got out of, you know, my graphic design job. I did them simultaneously for four years. And I kind of always knew in the back of my head, once I started my graphic design job, that someday I did want to do this, really take it all the way and try to have my own letterpress business. And I just had to, like, work up the guts. (laughs) I wanted to give graphic design a shot, too. You know, I went to college for that. I needed to see where that could take me. And again, I liked it a lot. I wasn't making things with my hands. I was just making things on the computer and then sending it off to somebody else that right. was going to manufacture well, it. It seems like you were in working in kind of a, it was narrow too because it was about employee recognition. So everything right. had to fit within that. Yes, it was very you specific. Like, do your own, like, hey, I'm going to do a poster. Or I'm no. Do a car. Like, <laughs> I mean, it had to be like, good job. Like that theme kind right. of. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I can understand. So November, which would have been November of 2013, I decided that I was going to leave my job and take on this little adventure into letterpress. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And um, just trying to grow as a letterpresser and try to make it work. 
were you excited nervous what how would you say you felt when you left it was pretty terrifying like in your head you know it's like okay here I go I'm not gonna get a paycheck anymore (laughs) um so at first you're really scared because like you leave your job and then and then you really have to sit down like after you leave and go okay what am I gonna do in my day it's been a huge challenge running a business by yourself because there's nobody else to rely on for the photography or the promotion or the sales or pounding the pavement. You're all the people right. in a business. So you have like 15 jobs. Mm-hmm. You're n- it's not like... You can't blame the marketing department uh-uh. <laughs> for failing you. It's you are the marketing department. Yeah. You're the complaint department. You're the sales department. Exactly. You're all the departments. Yeah. So that's been that's been tough to you know, do things in a timely manner because I have an idea. So I have a concept. I decide, okay, I'm going to make this line of greeting cards that are are thank you cards. So I, I'm the person who composes everything, and I don't do that on the computer. I do it by hand with lead and wood type. So I do the composing here. I do the printing myself. I do the photography for whatever it is I'm going to sell. And I have an Etsy site, and I have to run that. So you're uploading all of your stuff. You're writing all these descriptions um, about your work. You're setting pricing, which is really tough. That's like one of the hardest things for me to do is is set pricing because I... (laughs) It's hard for you to know what what your art is going to be worth to someone else, or right. and part of it is you have to figure out how much your supplies you have. I mean, what you're putting into it cost wise, but that value artwork is it's tricky. And one of the things that I've gathered from interviewing a lot of people who've come out of art school is that art schools, and this could be changing now, but historically they have not spent a lot of time. They educate artists on how to make art, how to really hone their skills, and have that core. Yeah, the core skills and drawing and you know in in color and but not a lot when it comes to the marketplace and business and how to sell right. your work how to market yourself and that's when i think things really get real for artists because they come out of school right. and they're like okay i'm making this work if i don't have a gallery representing me and i want to do my own sales how do i do that <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're like on etsy trying to figure it out you know yeah and how has that been for you that process has it gotten easier? I feel really new still. Even though I left there in November, I didn't start my Etsy until the end of January because at that point I didn't have a huge body of work right, to you even had to make sell. The stuff to sell. So it was Runaway Press. Did that exist before you left your job? Is that something uh-uh. you started? Before? Okay, so you started no. that launched in January. Yeah. Okay, so we're really new. We're in July now, so yeah. we're mm-hmm. like seven months in. Right. Of official business here. Right. Yep, I started my Etsy like January 21st or something uh, of this year. It was really slow right at the beginning because, again, I I was like trying to build up a shop of stuff. And at first, I mean, I think that first day I had like three items in there and I was like, woo, here we go. (laughs) You know, but. How long did it take to get your first sale? uh, Not too long, maybe like a week and a half. 
Okay, so you had to wait for a week and a half, though. I mean, that's a long time. It's probably like eternity, though, when you're trying to... But I was still working on populating my shop just, at that okay, point. so you weren't too concerned. You're like, I'm just going to get this stuff I think up that, there. Yep, the first, the first day I had three things. Then, you know, maybe like four days later, I added, you know, five more things. And, and okay. I just kept adding and adding that first, you know, first few months. But, yeah, it was... It was just scary at first. Well, it's interesting because I actually saw you at the Artisan's Market in Grand Rapids here. And one of the things that struck me is you did not appear to be somebody that just launched a business in January. Oh, sweet. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) So I think that's really testament. There's a lot going right with what you're doing because I don't want to come across as sounding like, oh, I can tell a rookie from a mile away. Because I still feel like a lot of the things I'm doing, I'm very rookie in a lot of the the projects I'm doing in my own um, life. Um, so I I think that there's nothing wrong with being a rookie and, and trying, you know, trying yeah. new things. In fact, I like to repeat that process where you're stumbling around <laughs> trying to figure out what to do next <laughs> and, and discovering new things for yourself. I think that's a wonderful experience. But I was really impressed by, you had a very professional booth and um, your signage was great. Like It just was put together well. And um, yeah, so I can tell that you've really made an effort that marketing part of your 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 minor is paying off yeah no, it, it looked really sharp and and it, um yeah so congratulations that's good to hear yeah. from somebody who sees a lot of yeah, you know I do. artists i don't know how comfortable you are talking about this but are you feeling like are you able to make your living doing this or are you still kind of getting to that point where you're able to recover when i first started this i have to give a shout out to abby fowler who runs 625 paper okay. down in monroe center I met her during Art Prize 2012, I think, and she saw um, this Michigan print that I made, and and she came up and she goes, "Who did this?" And I was like, "Oh, I did that." And she goes, "I need it. I want. I have to have this somewhere in my shop, in my house. I I love it." At that point, I had only had one. <laughs> I made one because I was printing it for Art Prize. Oh, okay. It was still on our press, but I, it, you and know, if the, you want to describe for the people who can't see it, I'll put a photo on the website but for people who can't see it as we're talking about it it seems like really mean we're looking at it (laughs) yeah the print you know and they can't they don't know what we're talking about describe your print um it's 28 by 40 um piece of white paper that i've printed the state of michigan on uh and i've kind of composed it from all these antique blocks. So they've kind of like been been pushed into the shape of the upper and lower Michigan. Um, and I got Isle Royal up there and north of the UP. And um, it's big. It's a it big, really big. And that's how, big many, Michigan. how many pieces? You don't have to count them, but roughly how many pieces, how many individual letterpress pieces are on that? Oh, gosh, 300 maybe? 250? And they're all symbols. Yep, there, ornaments. Well, there's, some, there's some letters in there. but Ornaments, of, letters, numbers... Some little people in there, animals. There's even a Michigan inside of Michigan. There's a couple Michigans see at inside least of one. Michigan. This yeah. could be fun, too, like just not only for art collectors, but for people with kids. Yes. The kids are mm-hmm. bored. Like if a doctor's office really wants to make their <laughs> their, 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 um, their waiting room super awesome. <laughs> yeah. Be, be like, okay, find the paper airplane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much in there. And how, how long did this take to compose it? I think it took 18 hours to put together, and then to print each piece, it takes an hour to ink each one and and get everything. You know, the pieces move every time I print it, so you have to adjust it. Yep, again. adjust little pieces here and there back together. 
So Abby saw that piece. Yep. And that's, yeah, I met her. And then um, she, you know, I kind of got to talking with her that day about letterpress. And she told me that she owned 625 paper and that she carries letterpress stuff. And, you know, she she wanted to support local artists Mm -hmm. as much as she could, but she didn't know of too many letterpressers in the area. She said, okay, well, if you ever start, you know, letter pressing or have your own business, I, I, you know, let me know and I'd love to carry your stuff. So she was the first person that I kind of talked to. I think I went to her shop right after I left my full-time job and I said, Abby, guess what? I left my job. I'm going to let her press full-time. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's awesome. She gave me some really good insight into owning your own business because she essentially did the same thing. Right. Um, you know, left her design job to open that shop. So she said, don't plan on paying yourself for two years. Once you start a business, don't plan on, you know, making any absorbent amount of money for, for the first two years. I haven't made nearly as much as I did, right. you know, at my full-time job. But when I, you know, have a good size order to a store I sell to a place up in Mackinac called Little Luxuries of Mackinac. Yeah, I've actually been there. Yeah. yeah. So when, when I do orders to stores like that, that's a decent chunk of money that I can pay my rent with and stuff like right, that. Right, right. I've really had to cut back on a lot of areas of my life. Like, you know, I can't just go out and buy a new pair of shoes whenever I want. I can't go out to eat whenever I want. I, you know, I have to be very wise with how I spend my money. But I'm happier, and I've realized a lot of th- a lot of things I don't need. And right. I was wasting money. You know, when I when I made more money, I was just wasting a bunch of it. And with what you're working with here, you've made some big investments for your for your business, yes. with the press and stuff like that. Yeah, that's not going to be an annual expense. If, you know, what right. I mean? you're not going to have. Oh, I got to buy another press this year. It's like you can get if you have a good solid press, um, you can make that work for you for years and yeah, years. Yeah, forever. And years. I mean, your press is how many years old? I mean that um, that's an, yeah, like maybe like seventy. Yeah, and it's still going. So yeah, you're good. Oh yeah, it's perfect. Do you feel like quite a bit of like just satisfaction? I wanted to do this before life got super crazy for me, mm-hmm. and if it didn't work out. It didn't work out. I can always go back to graphic design or, you know, not that I really want to, but um, I've actually thought of like 10 other jobs I want to do. 10 other jobs? (laughs) You sound like me. (laughs) 10 other areas that I I would like to work in that are, you know, also process oriented. Right. Um, Like art restoration. I'm thinking like, you know, if I need to, if I need to go back into... A regular job like I would be really happy doing that because right. maybe a different process each a different it's, it's each you know I like history even right. though if stuff you work on isn't always super historical but right you know that process of getting dirty and and making something new again right. I think I would be good at that I'm extremely detailed I think I I got inspired when I went to the Meyer May house mm-hmm. here in Grand Rapids my dad's friend used to live at the Meyer May House in college, and he was like, oh, so different. When I lived here, it was before whoever bought it to restore it, and right. it was just apartments at that time. He's like, they've done so much work, and me and my dad went into the to that house, and I was like, man, it, wouldn't it be awesome to have, like, put in the work to figure out 
what needs to be restored? Where right. do I need to, do I need like? to, yeah. Right. How can I, um, you know, fix this upholstery? Like the, those processes are interesting to me. Right. Like, well, it how... like it, it's a, definitely an offshoot of what you and your dad have done. Like even if you're, if you're doing driveways or whatever, or doing the concrete, which is different, but there's the skills that you do to build or construct something. Sure. Yeah. And then bringing your artistic bend to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who knows? You guys might team up again for a reunion tour. Of... We, I got another idea, which is like a little bit on the, it might seem creepy to some people, but, um, I don't want to give all my ideas away either, but, <laughs> um, he well, something tells me that not everyone can go run out and do these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have like experience like doing the special curve on the concrete. Yeah. Most people have no idea how to do that. They probably don't even notice that there is a curve on the concrete, but I do. Yeah. No, I've noticed that because I noticed when it's jagged, how trouble that can be, how much trouble if you're walking mm-hmm. or riding your bike, it can be a problem. Yes. So, um, my dad retired, uh, a year ago now. And he's been doing, like, just lots of side jobs right. with his machinery and stuff. And um, he's he's now the caretaker of the cemeteries, uh, two cemeteries and their grounds in Belding. Okay. I've helped him, you know, mow the cemeteries and um, dig graves and just do, like, general maintenance um, for those. And um, so I, I look at a lot of I, – I probably go and help him once a week um, do that kind of stuff. Right. And so I've, I've looked at a lot of uh, headstones and the lettering on them. And, you know, some of them have imagery, right. flowers, or whatever it is. I'm interested in – I don't know what you call it, chiseling or, or carving stone. I want to ask you a question about headstones themselves. Mm-hmm. Do you like the modern headstones? Because I kind of don't. I like the old ones. How they, It seems like the, the fonts are different. and the. There's so many. Um, I can't say, though, I've spent as much time probably as you. <laughs> I don't cemetery. go once a week. I don't go once a week. Um, I love looking at old ones, too, because you can tell that they're hand done. Yes. Well, I think that's why I like the old ones. Nothing against the people that have businesses now that make modern headstones you know aided by modern technology but yeah I sometimes think hmm this isn't as labor intensive as the other yeah (laughs) so I'm interested also in that because it's working with typography still oh yeah yeah but it's actually etching away in stone I'm sure there's plenty of headstones that the people, if they would have picked them up themselves before they died, they would never have picked that. Right. And even families probably might go back five years later and be like, why did I even pick that? But they were devastated at the time. So there might be a way that, you know, you could market some things. And I think artists in particular would probably be <laughs> interested in exactly. that. Exactly. Because artists you know? don't want a tacky headstone. I, no I don't. About, no one wants to think about their death, but artists definitely don't want tacky. I want... You know, whoever I leave behind to say, oh, my gosh, have you seen her headstone? It's gorgeous. And if they go visit, you know, it's, it be it's your leave behind. That's where people go right. visit you. It so it's just tacky, unwelcoming type of, yeah. And I think people, for people to be creeped out, too, by, by cemeteries, I think that's kind of sad, too, because that's where people should feel like they can go back and have some kind of connection Mm-hmm. With a loved one, if they have somebody buried there, yeah, it's a. I don't know. In this, our culture, American culture around death, is really 
it's a very uncomfortable culture. Yeah. Our family is different, I think. I've had a lot of people close to me die in the past 10 years. I feel like it's made me feel more calm about things, accepting those things in a different way. And now that my dad works there pretty much all the time. Right, so you kind of got, it's a comfort, it's not a, this, oh, this is creepy. No, you know, kind of. I feel very calm. And it's like if I get done mowing and he's still doing like weed whacking or something, I will go and lay down someplace or I'll go and like take some pictures or just walk through and look right. at look at people's graves because I, I it, you know cemeteries so much, are beautiful there's places of, there's a lot of font there to check it, out yeah a lot of lettering <laughs> yeah. and I like to see what people have written on their headstones and one that sticks out in my mind a really really old one you can barely tell his name anymore at um, St. Mary's Cemetery in Belding so it's his name and then the dates and then it says in a script font just away Hmm. And it was like, it was almost like he may have picked that out. I don't know if he did or not, but it, it was like he was telling whoever was visiting him, like, I'm not gone. I'm just away. Wow. That and that great. like really struck me. Yeah. And I, and that's when I got to thinking like how much more each of these headstones could be to the people that right. they leave Some behind. Right, just say mm-hmm. name and dates and that's it. So where are you headed next? What do you want to see happen? You're not even a year into this, but mm. what are your immediate goals for Runaway Press? Just contact more shops. I think there's a lot of people I meet through social media, especially Instagram. That has been an amazing outlet for people to oh my see my stuff. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, I would say even the stuff I sell on Etsy, people see me on Instagram first and then they go to my Isn't Etsy. That amazing? And the shop owners follow me on there, you know, so they know what I'm, they're they're seeing stuff that I'm making. Just because of the process of creating to actually selling a piece is so time consuming. Something I'm bad at is contacting a lot of the shops or, you know, when you sell to a shop, you have to make them a line sheet Mm -hmm. of all of your stuff with the prices, depending if they're depending if they do consignment or wholesale, I need to get better at, you know, cataloging everything and and pricing everything and numbering and dating everything, you know, as soon as it's dry and making the process more streamlined and and really, like, reaching out to those people who, who say, hey, I really like your work, contact me if you ever make this kind of a thing, or I'm really interested in cards, right. give me a holler or whatever. I'm just, like, so consumed at this point with, like, making mm-hmm. that I feel like I let I let stuff like that, like, fall off my radar. It's difficult because it really is a job getting back to what you're saying where you have now have all these jobs. You know, yeah. Like you used to have one job and now you have all these jobs. I need, like, an administrative person, too, to handle, like, all the emails, Instagram, right. you know, um, comments, requests, and stuff like that. Right. And I, Yeah, and then you get to that dilemma where a lot of businesses grow to the point where they do need help, and then you have to decide, are you going to, can you afford to hire somebody else? Because most people don't want to wait two years to start making an income uh-huh. from the business, you yeah. know? Um, like, hey, come on board. We're going to get paid in a few years. Um, yeah. <laughs> So what is it about the type itself? Because I know when you were giving me a tour kind of of your studio space here, 
you were talking, and, and I think we probably should cover the fact that this is, you're part of kind of a collective here. Right. And what is your collective called? Not Design. Not Design. Mm -hmm. So why did you guys choose Not Design? Oh man, this is a toughie. I have conversations with Chris Fox about this every once in a while. He came up with the name before any of us current okay, so people were here. With that name, okay. Pretty much, yeah. He was inspired by this guy who started Project M. His main idea to what he did was it's not just design, it's all these other things. It's like problem solving. It's like how can we be environmental about stuff? How can we reuse stuff? How can we help this population of people? How can we be involved in our community? All of these other things, he's he's a designer, but he wants to do all these other things. So I think that's where the name kind of came from. It's not just design, mm -hmm. so it's like, I'm pretty sure our website is think, not design. So there's like a comma in there, think, not, not design. design. Okay. So, so you're... So it's that process. Yes. As opposed to, hey, I have to design this card for this event, right. event or whatever. It's kind of like just... The word design, it... Everybody, like, has this go-to thing in their head about what design is. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you work on the computer. Oh, you draw. Oh, you make letters. The name is kind of a statement about it's It's not, it's it's all these things. It's, right. I think, you know, one of his main ideas is, like, problem-solving. Design is problem-solving. So whatever challenge it is, you're yeah, going to do a, a logo. You're going to do an art installation you're really solving this problem, okay? How how can I help this company brand themselves successfully? Right. How can I make this logo work for this company? And, um, you know, design's in there too, but it's, it's so many other things you have to think about and research and concept, so. And you're bringing people in here, you're doing some workshops, so you guys offer workshops Yes, here. yes, and we try to offer workshops you know, once every couple of months to, you know, and that gets you like three or four hours in our studio using this antique equipment and all of our type and all of our printer's cuts. So you have um, three presses here or are there more? Than there's that one in my garage we're going to get in okay, here soon. So you'll have four. We'll have four. We really like to focus on the educational part of letterpress because we are in love with this and we want more people to know about it because when you pick up a card that's been letterpressed, most people don't know the process of how it was made or any of these, you know, historical processes of printing. So this is really like a, a, a working museum. We like to have people come in and, and teach them the process. And so um, when you take a workshop, it, you come in, like I said, for three or four hours, we give you a small history of print you know, the printing press and, and letterpress, then you basically just dive right in. You can look through any of our stuff. You can make a print, a poster, a card, your name, whatever you want, whatever you make in that time that you're here, it's yours. You know, so you're, you're coming in. We're teaching you about the process. We're sharing, you know, all of this historical goodness with you, and, and you're making art and taking it home with you. And that's $50 per person? To do that? We, yep, we generally charge $50. Um, I know we've had some specials before, but we post all of our workshops on our Not Design Facebook page okay. and then Runway Press Facebook page as well. I always 
um, post it both places. Okay, so people can follow those pages if they want. Yep. The update. And it's, the type is so beautiful, too, when you open the drawers and you... Because it's like, you feel like you're just, like, looking at a piece of history and... Oh, yeah. And to be able to create with that, it's got to be fun. Are you getting better at... I'm assuming that you're able to read fonts backwards. Pretty like, much, pretty yeah. Um, how long did it take you to feel real comfortable with that? Once you do this for a while, I, w I would say like a year because I wasn't, when I first started coming here, I wasn't here regularly, right. maybe once a week, once every two weeks. So you you kind of like starting over when you're not, you know, letter pressing that often, but, um, you know, so a good a good six months to a year of doing it. And then you start to have yeah. less situations where you have to turn the E the other way. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is a really inspiring place, and it's great to see that that letterpress is coming back. I, I feel like it's becoming more common where people are at least starting to clue into the fact that it's not something that was just they did in the old back all the time ago, and no one does it now. I love the fact that you're at markets where mainstream people can shop and buy cards, and then if they don't, if they're not in the art, art gallery or in an art show they still are going to run into your work, which I think is really cool. So you're kind of bringing this to the attention of people who are out just buying cards. You know, uh, they're looking to buy stationery, yeah. and they're realizing, like, oh, this is handmade, and it wasn't generated by a computer. There's something really cool and really fun and tactile about that. So congrats to you for doing your part Thank you. to educate the public about letterpress printing. So Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you, either about your business or... Your, your, yourself that you want people to know, you know, as far as your story goes? I guess I just want to stress that the education of letterpress and, and traditional printing is just as important to me as making the work. When I get to share the process with other people, that's like what kind of drives me. Mm -hmm. um, I like to make my own work. I, you know, it's, I'm very happy, you know, doing this every day. But I get so much more excited when other people get excited about it too. Right. And seeing people after they pull their first print, like some people jump up and down and they're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Wow. It's like instant <laughs> gratification. You did the work, you, you know, put the type down, you hand inked it, and there's your print. Right. It's great to have people in here because there's always that element of surprise in printing. Mm-hmm. When you work on something on a computer, right. you design it, you know exactly what it's going to look like. Right. When you print on a letterpress, you design it, but you you really don't know what it's going to look like, you know? It's like, right. and and I'm getting, all for all the stuff that I make, I'm the only person who gets that surprise, <laughs> which is awesome. Right. You know, I, I make some, I put a composition down, I hand ink it, I put the piece of paper down, and I don't know what it's going to exactly what it's going to look right. like because I've only seen it backwards on wood or lead and then you you pull the piece of paper up and it's usually a pleasant surprise I right. mean you're always if you're being making something specific you're going to want to tweak things here or there but um so then when people come in they can get that surprise too right because you don't get that at the market if you buy the finished card right yeah, unless they see you make it they don't get that experience so, and that never gets old seeing the print no it, it totally doesn't so that's why i started bringing my small press to the market right to and really my dad really pushed me to do that and he he's like 
Michelle, people want to see that. They want to see how it's made. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. He's like, we got to figure out a way to get your press at the market. And it's so, it, yeah, it's 300 pounds, pounds which is so portable, <laughs> a portable press size. So um, yeah. I've been bringing the press to the market and doing live pressing and demonstrations on Sundays from 11 to 3. So, so are you there every week? Or when are you I'm, there? I try to go as much as possible, but, um, you know, there's other things that come up, but I'm going to try to be there as much as possible. I think it's, it's great to have the press there so that they can make the connection. Mm-hmm. They can say, okay, here's your cards and stuff. Oh, my gosh, it's letterpress. And what is that really? And, well, here it is. Right. We have one right here, and we will show you how it works. Even if I didn't sell anything at the market, it's worth it just to bring the press out there because I love the kids' faces when they see oh, how it yeah. works. Yeah. They they are too, so think. surprised, you yeah. know. They're the ones that well, get the, the real surprise because right. they're thinking, like, where's your computer and your printer? Right, because they don't know anything about uh-uh. <laughs> so, like, no. It's not even part of their... Even so their history, I yeah. love to print for kids because they think it's magic, <laughs> which it is. It is. It is, a, it is magic. Yeah. <laughs> well, a special thanks to Michelle Terry of Runaway Press for sharing her her time and and giving us kind of a behind the scenes tour, a little verbal tour of uh, Not Design Studio, which is located in Grand Rapids. And I did take a little video of Michelle when I was in her studio of her pulling a print on uh, one of the presses there. So I'll post that as well. And you'll find a link from craftsanity.com. You can also find Michelle's work for sale on Etsy. So if you look up runawaypress.etsy.com, you can find her work there. She also has a Facebook page. I'll post links to all of that on my website and if you're working a day job that you love, by all means, keep working it. Not everyone needs to go quit their day job and be a full-time artist. The world would obviously, things would stop working if everybody quit their job and uh, decided to be a weaver full-time or a letterpress printer or whatever. You know, we, we need people to, to keep their day jobs. So, you know, by all means, this is not pressure for everyone to quit in droves, but it's kind of fun to entertain that thought. For some of us, that's just the way it has to be because we can't really survive behind a desk looking at a computer all day. It's just not for all of us. And if you have a story that you want to share with the Craft Sanity listeners, or you know of someone who you think would be an interesting person for me to interview, send me a note about it. I'm always looking for people to interview. You can find me just by emailing jennifer at craftsanity.com. I get a lot of email, so if I don't respond right away, please don't be offended. Uh, My email address has been widely publicized and the downside of that is I get a lot of junk mail. So um, if you don't hear from me though in a reasonable amount of time, if I haven't gotten back to you in a, within a week's time or a few days even, feel free to send a second message and I will uh, get back to you. I don't get offended by gentle reminders, but I just have a lot of students emailing and people from my day job, people for this podcast, people buying looms and wanting to talk to me about weaving and all those things and it just... You have a lot coming at me, so feel free to uh, wave the flag twice if need be. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It's fun to to have these little chats with you. So I'll be back soon with another episode. I've actually already recorded it. And next time we're going to talk about weaving and fiber art, which is one of my absolute passions. So that's going to be a lot of fun. 
In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me.